We've been talking a lot on this podcast about the greatest football player of all time, Lionel Messi, and his epic stateside move. Now you can join Messi as he embarks on his historic next chapter with Apple TV Plus's new documentary series called Messi Meets America. Follow along Messi's journey as he takes North America and Major League Soccer by storm, ushering in a new era with his new inner Miami teammates. The series is streaming now, right now, right this second, only on Apple TV Plus, and more episodes are coming November 1st. I didn't know shit. I walked into it thinking I had so many more answers than I did. I needed to learn. I, I needed to learn a lot. And that humbled me just recognizing I got a long way to go if I want to be a, a coach professionally. And so, you know, it's motivating. And I think in 2013, when I realized how little I actually knew that I was motivated to be a coach and, and try to be a, a good coach. Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of Offside with me, Taylor Twoman. It is crunch time, my friends. My favorite time of the year. You can smell it. You can taste it. The 2023 MLS Cup playoffs are looming with only one match day remaining in the regular season. Now, I've said this multiple times on this podcast. My goal with this show is to give you, the fans, a look beyond the broadcast to get to know the clubs who've been key to the story of the 2023 regular season. And as this regular season winds down, this will be the first of two episodes over the coming weeks where we take time to celebrate the standout team in each conference. So today, naturally, we start with FC Cincinnati. Acosta beats one man one-on-one and another. This is still Lucho Acosta continuing on. Acosta! Oh my goodness! For you newer fans, let's just say the first three years at MLS for Cincy, complete horse manure. 19, 20, 21, they were bottom of the table. Year on year, they won the wooden spoon. But in 2022, they brought in new management with new ideas, one of which was Pat Noonan, a new head coach with the job of turning it around. And needless to say, the rest is history. Brandon Vasquez, a local hero. They're all heroes tonight. Cincinnati Shield. And now the quest for MLS Cup begins. You know the drill by now. I want to celebrate Cincinnati's achievements by talking to the people that made this success possible. Today, we've got Pat Noonan, one of the league's most quietly competitive people, but also someone I've known since we were five. He's a former teammate of mine with the U.S. men's national team and the New England Revolution. Now Noonan's in. He'll lob the keeper. Will he find the net? Yes, 1-0 Revs. But also someone I played grade school ball with and then competed in high school and college against, and also someone that we did nasty knee slides on the playgrounds in St. Louis. Mine was better than his, but I digress. We've also got the big guy up top, number 19, Brandon Vasquez, FC Cincinnati's all-time leading goal scorer, who came into the league in 2018, but was desperate for a chance to lead the line week after week. Pat Noonan gave him that chance, and he's never looked back. So enough for me. Pat Noonan, Brandon Vasquez, to talk all things FC Cincinnati. Ladies and gentlemen, we were once five years old in grade school, kindergarten, teammates, 
friends. We've not only played together on the New England Revolution U.S. Men's National Team, but as I said, we grew up together. But I need to get this out of the way so the shit doesn't talk for the next 45 to 50 minutes. Pat Noonan beat me in high school. He won a state championship in high school. He beat me in college at Indiana. We all know IU produces great gentlemen, great players, fantastic coaches. We know all of that. Now that that is over with, Pat, I just want to get that out of the way. Do you want to add anything before we actually talk about what you do for a living? No, I don't need to insult you anymore. I think we're both past that, but I appreciate you uh, reminding the audience of your past failures. Yeah, past failures. Pat, I have uh, made a living, a great living out of being a failure. But the reason why I bring that up, Noons, is for you growing up, soccer wasn't always your true love. You were a great baseball player. You were a massive basketball fan. That's where you and I always connected. We weren't really soccer, as you and I used to say, dorks, until about, would you say, eighth grade, freshman year of high school. That's where it kind of changed for you. Why did that change for you, Noons? Just understanding what path was going to be my best opportunity at professional sport. That's what I wanted to do. That's what we wanted to do as kids. Uh, and like you said, we played all different sports. We were playing roller hockey, you name it. We were playing anything to compete. And that was, that was just the way we were brought up. And, and I loved that part of my development as, you know, as a, a player, as a, as a person. You know, but it got to a point where, all right, what's next? And so going into high school and realizing that, you know, I think I had something special in terms of yep. uh, playing the game. This could be part of my development to get me to the collegiate level and hopefully professionally. And so we were very fortunate, as you know, with the sport of soccer in St. Louis and what the high school level looked like in terms of competition. Yep. We obviously had the club, but, you know, the club didn't have the same impact as high school soccer. And that led us to our collegiate years, mine a little longer than yours. But, um, <laughs> you know, that, that's when I, I needed to hone in on one sport and it was going to be soccer. The only difference is, Nudes, your uh, collegiate academic career was over a long time ago. I'm technically still Tommy Boy and then I'm in school at 43 years old. So don't I worry. I, you for <laughs> I tried. I tried. But my pop said there's no chance that you're leaving early. So he didn't <laughs> care what my how, how good I was at, at the game. He was I was finishing my education. Nudes, for so many of our listeners, too, you were one heck of a player, one of the best players I've ever played with. And a lot of times, Steve Ralston, myself, would marvel, you weren't the fastest, right? You weren't the most athletic, yet every single time the ball got to you in a key moment, you did something. You had one of the best cuts we've ever played with, but you always were between the ears operating at a different level. You were accountable. I can give you all these compliments. I had no effing idea that you wanted to be a coach. I had no clue. When did that first thought come in your mind and said, hang on a minute, I think I want to do this? It, it wasn't when we were playing together. You know okay. you know what it's like as a professional player. Early on in my career, I'm trying to have just that, a career. I'm just thinking about playing in that life. And so once I started to get towards the tail end of my career, you know, I was bouncing around too many injuries. It was around that stage that I realized I, I want to stay in the game. What was my pathway going to look like post-playing? And I just felt as a player, I had leadership skills. I think I was in, in some ways at the time a student of the game. And so, you know, when I was in 
Los Angeles, it, it became a, a conversation about in that 2013 season after I was going to be done playing, how could I get into the coaching ranks? You know, yep. I remember having conversations with Jay. He was at New England at the time and him saying to me, well, what's your coaching experience? Do you, do you have your badges? Yep. I had none of these things. And so you, you've, you're a little naive. I was a little naive to think that I could just go and be a professional coach. And so I started work with the academy in, in LA and then couldn't have been more fortunate with the opportunity to work with Bruce. What point of that did you say, hang on a minute, I actually really want to go about this? Pretty early because I didn't know shit. You think yep. you know what it's going to be like on the coaching side of things. But I remember walking, you know, I walked into the locker room every day in 2012. Well, in 2013, when I joined Bruce Arena's staff, you know, I walked into it thinking I had so many more answers than I did. Yep. And the rea reality was I needed to learn. I, I needed to learn a lot. And I think that humbled me recognizing I got a long way to go if I want to be a, a coach professionally. And so with anything in my life that I'm not good at or I'm interested in and I want to learn, you know, it's motivating. And I think in 2013, when I realized how little I actually knew that I was motivated to be, you know, a coach and, and try to be a, a good coach. But what is different about Pat Noonan's mindset as a player now as a coach? Man, um, <laughs> you, you really learn early on. And I had a couple moments where, you know, I had more experienced coaches kind of put me in my place, but you, you got to learn about patience. You know, we talk a lot about development, the development of the player and the development of a team and, you know, how long that takes. Yeah. I stepped in and, and I remember there were days in training or um, game days when we weren't performing or you didn't see what you liked. And I was way too um, harsh and, and aggressive mm -hmm. with my opinion. And the more experienced coaches, the Bruce's, the Dave Sarikins, the Kurt Anolfo at the time, all of these guys helped to put me in my place in just better understanding that things take time on an individual level and collectively. And so that was the, the biggest learning curve was, was that side of things early on. And then as you progress and um, you talk about wanting to, you know, be your own coach. All right. What mm -hmm. are your ideas? How do you see the game? All right. So what, what is a team going to look like if you're the head coach? And so having your own ideas, you know, that was part of, you know, the, the LA days. And then obviously into the, you know, the Philly days, just the progression for myself of understanding what I would want my team to look like with and without the ball. When you talk about the philosophy, the style of play, you know, all, all your principles, all those things. I didn't think about that early on. It, it was more how I was going to manage and, and uh, what I was like as, as an assistant coach being a fly on the wall. So th that was a lot of the progress after just recognizing you're not a player anymore. You got to have a, a lot more patience as a coach. I thought it was interesting. You talked a lot about the elder statesmen, the Bruce Arenas, the Dave Sarikans, the Kurt Adolfos, the, the guys that have been around this sport for a long time. And yet from my position, 15,000 feet away, Noons, I saw a real different growth in you when I would talk to you, connect with you before games when you went with Jim Curtin to Philadelphia. And I've always been a massive fan of Jim, always have been, always will be. Because he's similar to you. It's a craft. He learned it. He went and did some odd jobs. He found a way. But he also grew into a job differently than you. He's been a head coach for a long time. Right. But you're the assistant for Jim Curtin. Now, all of a sudden, you start to hear your names rumored to be interviewed in other jobs. St. Louis, your hometown's one of those. 
FC Cincinnati's another one. Now, FC Cincinnati's been a disaster from the moment they got into Major League Soccer. Yet they call Pat Noonan. You go do the interview. Were you really excited about it? The excitement was was there. There's no question in, in a couple reasons. Chris Albright yep. being the the general manager and and knowing um, Chris as a director, but also as a human and knowing what I'd be getting into um, with that working relationship. But I remember going to TQL Stadium, you know, when, when I was with Philly and thinking, this is the best stadium in oh, the league. What an agreed. environment this could be. I, I don't know what the losing streak was, but it was double digits. And there's 18,000 people in the stadium. The fans were yep. desperate to see success on the field. So th those things, along with the training facility, a great ownership group, the resources were there. You just needed to look past the, the results and, yep. and the product on the field. Um, but that leads me to you know what was the most worrisome is what was it going to look like on the field in that transition period of, okay, you know the past is the past, but there's going to be a lot of returning players. We're going to bring in obviously new pieces, but success was not going to happen overnight. This was going to be a challenging initial stages. Uh, of me being a head coach. And so I think that was, you know, something I understood, but also was going to be worried about because the fans were desperate for wins. The club was desperate for wins. And mm -hmm. the hope was that in this transition period and while we're given new ideas and trying to build relationships, how do we win games? And so uh, it didn't start off well. You know, I think we were you know, two, five, and one maybe after our first eight games and went on a winning streak that got us above 500. But no, it wasn't smooth sailing early on. It's difficult to convince a fan base after three years of being the worst team in the league that you're different. You had to change the culture. Nunes, I have no idea if I had a list of 10 things I wanted to change. I got to pick the one thing right away that I'm going to establish to say, I'm different my staff is different. What was the one thing you did to change that? Surround yourself with smart people, more experienced yep. people. You know, I'm going into this as a, a first-time head coach. So what what was the staff going to look like? And, you know, anybody that's been around our our team and the facilities know that th this is a good staff with league experience, with deep knowledge of the game that have helped me immensely in, in these first two years. So I could be more appreciative of that. Um, the other part of it was just trying to create buy-in with something new. You know, mm -hmm. I, I try to be honest with guys early on and say, we're, just because there's a, a new coaching staff and we have all these ideas and we're messaging, you know, certain things, I'm not promising people anything. You know, we're, we're not talking about MLS Cup right now. That's unrealistic. We need to talk about, or, or Supporter Shield, we need to talk about what does growth look like for this group? And how do we go through a preseason? How do we start the regular season and, and see improvement? And a lot of our messaging was, let's see if we can position ourselves by the summer of 22 to be in the mix and going into a transfer window where we can make moves to be a part of the playoff race. And, and we were able to do that. But it, it was going to be just steady progress. Uh -huh. uh, Chris said it uh, really well when we talked about just recruitment process. We don't need to hit home runs, right? We need to hit singles and doubles. And yep. that approach is going to allow us to see steady progress. And so um, that's, that was our approach early on. And, um, you know, I think, it, it, again, it wasn't seamless. There was a lot of players mm -hmm. that struggled early on. 
the way we train was different than the uh, the previous regime, and and it wasn't a right or wrong. It was we have to get our training ideas and what the tempo of training looks like to transition into game day. How are we going to get players to buy into that, and and how are we going to you know position players to have success in in a different style of play? So. It, it took a long time, and, and some players took longer than others, key players that took longer than others, but it was a, a slow progression into you know what you see today. You're going to tell me to F off, but I always put you on the spot, always have, always will. Who's the biggest influence in your life as a head coach? Not as a player, not as a dad, not as a son, but, yeah, but as that a was, coach. That was, that was Big Pete, you know, my pops. Yep. It had nothing to do with you know, some of the, the incredible managers that I was able to play under a- along the way. And you know him, Greg Vitello in high school and, and Jerry yep. Yegley in college. And, and then you get to the pro ranks with Stevie and, and Bruce and Ziggy and Bob, all these incredibly successful coaches at every level. But I don't get into the position I'm in and have the mindset that I have without my pops and, and just the environment that I grew up in with my mom and dad, an incredible support cast with my, you know, you know, all my sisters and brother, they help keep me grounded. They help to shape who I am as a person. And so if you just put the soccer side of things away, what has helped position me to go on and, and, and do things in my life in a successful way? And it, it was, I think, the upbringing that I had. So you know, when you talk about just the biggest impact, I think the father figure is an important one in, in my life. Yeah, but what, Pat, you're, you're, you're being dismissive about your great father as a coach because people listening to this, there was a fifth grade basketball team in St. Louis, Missouri, and it was all little kids. It was my brother, Pat's brother, and a couple other really good athletes. And Pat Noonan's father, Peter Noonan, <laughs> He hyper, he pressed for 40 minutes. Jeez. And that's all it was. But honestly, he set the tone for what kind of coach you were going to be. And you didn't even know it back then. Well, I could tell you this. I could tell you who didn't appreciate it was Amy, Carey, Kelly, and Michael. Because <laughs> uh, not only was it painful experiences in-game, but then the car rides home if, you know, if you didn't play well. And forget playing well, if you didn't work hard. That, that was uh, a less than enjoyable car ride home, so... Uh, and he just I, loved for, it, man. I know for the fact that James Twelwood was a thorn in his side because, like his older brother, he didn't really listen well. We all, we all were. <laughs> I, I don't know how they uh, they got through it at times with uh, all all of us, uh, you know, little punks. Not to be sentimental about it, but my man, I thought it was the most the the coolest thing FC Cincinnati ever did was the tribute to your dad when he passed away earlier this year because it meant. That club, that city recognized how important you are to that franchise and how important that whole family environment is, and I loved it. But I want to go back to what this season is for FC Cincinnati. What is the one thing your team has done better than anyone else that people like myself haven't fully recognized when broadcasting the games and talking about FC Cincinnati? Oh, man. I I think what has positioned us to win our first trophy – is the ability to win. I mean, Mm -hmm. we don't talk about everything revolves around winning, but early on when you're not in your best form, you know, how can you find results? Um, Okay, you found your form and and now the expectation is to win. How do you continue to win games? I think our group's been consistent in, in being winners. I also think that they've gone about it and we've figured out and evolved how to win 
in different ways, mm-hmm. playing with a lead, playing from behind, uh, playing up a man, playing down a man. I, I just think that this year has has thrown a lot at our group um, to see if we could handle uh, success and, and find yep. success in different ways. You know, navigating League's Cup, Open Cup. The group has really uh, shown growth in how we go about finding success from week to week because the one thing we don't always do is dominate the ball and uh, we don't always have control in games. And that's, you know, one of my biggest criticisms of the group is how can we better control the tempo with and without the ball, with our decision-making, with how we can be more connected. And to their credit, when that's not going well, they're still able to figure out a way to come out on top. And that's just a, a testament to the players and, you know, their character and their hunger to to be successful. And, you know, my, it, as a coach, though, what I'm looking for is a, a more consistent way of doing it. And so that'll mm-hmm. always be the challenge. But I can only credit them for figuring it out and, and positioning us where we are at the moment. What has defined Cincinnati this season and its refusal to lose? There's no quit until the final whistle. Why do you think that quality is there? Where does that come from? I think it's just the the players that we have. I think the mentality that we have. We all just have that mentality that we're going to give it everything we have until the last second, until the whistle's blown. And and I think we've shown that time and time again. And I think from the first time that we we did that, the team knew that anything is possible, you know. Um, I mean, we could be down 1 or 2-0 in the last 20 minutes of the game and flip things around. So it's it's incredible that we have a team that can stay persistent and, and not, like, let our heads head or hang low and keep our heads high and keep pushing, you know. I mean, we have the quality of players to change stuff around in a quick matter of time. So it's, it's amazing. Brandon, I want to go back to when there was a teenager in San Diego that traveled across the border multiple times per week to train mm-hmm. with Tijuana. I just want you to take us there. What are your memories of those commutes, the late nights, the early mornings, just that experience that ultimately shaped you to who you are now? Yeah, I mean... Looking back to that, I don't know if I could do that again. I mean, in the moment, it was just one of those things where it was routine for me, and it was, I had never even saw it as being a burden or being hard. It was just routine. And so from the time I was 13 until I was 18, I was waking up at 5 a.m. to go across the border to go to training. Training would start at 7. So, yeah, it would take me 30 minutes to get to the border. My parents would drop me off. I would walk across, then grab a Uber or a taxi to the stadium so it was a long commute there and even longer commute back but I think at the end of the day it was worth it you know um, I was crossing back sometimes noon sometimes 3 p.m. just depends how many people were in line to cross back into San Diego and I would do school online and then go train again in the evening so it was one of those things where yeah like I said it was just routine for me so it was it was why like, couldn't you just do easy. it now you just said you don't know if you could do it now why couldn't you do it now because uh, with the training ground that we have being just a couple <laughs> minutes away from the house, you know, it's just we, we're so spoiled now. So so back then I didn't know what it was like, but obviously now it's a lot better. It's a lot easier to go into Mercy Health, Health Training Center in, in here in Cincinnati. And it's just like, a, what is it, a 30 or $40 million facility? It's yep. unreal. So, yeah, definitely very spoiled now. <laughs> I'm just curious. Soccer to you. Is it opportunity? Is it privilege? Is it work? Is it something else? Because a lot of kids doing that would have been burnt out. 
but it feels like you're not. Am I right or wrong on this? I mean, you're spot on with that. For me, it was it was exciting. I, I would wake up and I would be ready to go. You know, I wanted to go play. I wanted to go train. And when we were training, it was I was giving my 100% every day, but also like I was enjoying myself. So the whole journey was just enjoyable for me. You know, I'm leaving the training center in Tijuana and I have a 25 minute ride to the border and then I have to wait a couple hours to cross back and the whole time I'm like uh, listening to music. I had some teammates that I would do it with sometimes so I was just bantering with uh, friends or just grabbing snacks at the gas station on the way back home. You know, it was just, uh, I was just enjoying myself, living, living. What was living your go-to life, snack? Pretty much candy i'm not gonna lie i've got a sweet tooth so i would, oh, I would like, get some like, candy oh, hold on. Is, it, is it chocolate or is it like what oh, is it no you stop at a gas station in tijuana it's all mexican candy so it's spicy candies it's tamarindo stuff it's like tostitos it's takis and it's that kind of stuff so it's all spicy foods <laughs> i love that i absolutely love that because for me sour patch kids are skittles and i would have ruined oh, that i love all thing. that too so you, let, let's go back here to 2018. You arrive in Major League Soccer. You sign with Atlanta United. It's their inaugural season. And listen, Atlanta United, it wasn't as if you had immediate success. You were in and uh -huh. out of the first team. What did you learn about yourself as a player or as a person? Dude, Atlanta was tough for me, you know? Like, I had never been benched in my life. I'd always been one of the better players on my team or the best player on my team. So going to Atlanta... And being with the first team, like we had Joseph Martinez in front of me who was banging 34 goals a season. It was just like um, I understood why he was starting, like on why I wasn't, like I, of course. But it was it was hard for me to learn that patience, but it, it took me a while. I, I learned patience and I learned determination. You know, I just kept working on myself. At first it was it was hard. I was hard on myself. I was comparing myself to my national team teammates at the time at U17, U19, who were starting on their teams. And I felt like I was just as good or better than them. So I was like always comparing myself to my national team teammates, which, you know, comparison is what the thief of joy they say or something. So it, it was tough for me, but I definitely, after like working with a sports psychologist, it was more of just going in there and working on myself, like even at the end of the day, knowing like if I give my 100%, I might not be starting this weekend. If I score more goals than the other forward, I might not be starting this weekend. But when I get my next opportunity, I'll be ready. So basically I had that mentality and I'm not going to lie, some days even after like I had that in my head, it was just going to the training ground, knowing that like no matter what I do, I'm not going to get an opportunity sometimes out those negative thoughts just come in but um at the end of the day you just kind of have to block that out and work for yourself because you just have to be ready whenever that opportunity is coming so pretty much i i just worked on on myself there the whole time that first season with pat noonan most productive of your career 18 league goals was it the consistent minutes with cincinnati was it a combination of the chip on your shoulder atlanta Cincinnati saying you're going to be the guy or was it something that Pat Noonan did for you that all of a sudden clicked everything? It was a little bit of both for sure because when I first came to Cincinnati I came in and Cincinnati had just signed Jurgen Lakadia DP yep. like a couple weeks after they signed me so I come in 
into the exact same position that I was before. The coach that brings me in, Ron Jans, gets fired um, a couple weeks after he brings me in. So um, the plan for me to come to Cincinnati was uh, to get even more minutes than I was getting in, in Atlanta. And all of that just went out the window. Um, so I found myself in the same position I was in in Atlanta, but just from a championship team to the last place team, you know. So that was tough as well. But I try to stay with the same mentality of coming in and giving my best every day. And when there was a, a coach change um, and Pat Noonan and Chris Albright and all them came in, I knew I was going to get my opportunity. I knew I had to be as ready as possible. And so, yeah, for sure, I had a chip on my shoulder. And when I was given that opportunity, I, I ran with it. Now, one of the high moments in this regular season, it was actually in League's Cup, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. scored a hat-trick against Chivas. Shipping past the challenge. Vasquez! How's that for a start? 90 seconds in. He's making it off Barreal, back across the grade. It's a second for Brandon Vasquez. Vasquez continues. He's got the hat-trick. Now, growing up, you were a Chivas fan. I was reading the reports on it. Your first career hatchet goes against the team that you rooted in. Well, how weird was that? I mean, yeah, that was a weird game because it, it technically took place over two days. Yes. We played like 60 <laughs> minutes, and then we waited in the locker room until 1 in the morning, and then we had to come back the next morning and play. Um, but it was it was an incredible game, you know. I mean, I wasn't even supposed to start this game. I was supposed to be resting this game. Sergio Santos was going to start, and he gets injured. So as the team's walking out for the national anthem, like they told me, like, oh, you're starting. Sergio's out. So I'm, like, putting my stuff on. I haven't even warmed up properly yet, and the team's about to start the game. So I'm, like, warming up, and I come in, and I score, like, two goals in the first eight minutes. So it was, like perfect start I told our fitness coach I'm never warming up with a team again I'm warming up last second to every game after that um and then the game gets pretty much canceled that night and then the next day I can I finished up my hat trick so it was it was a it was a fun experience for sure you've been with the team since 2020 you've felt some of those low finishes but last year you said multiple times in interviews Brandon I'm going to remind you mm -hmm. that you said this team's good enough to win it all it's good enough to win the supporter shield it's good enough to win MLS Cup now that you've felt the elation of Supporter Shield and breaking that city's trophies, drought or whatnot, how has this journey changed you as a player? I would say it's it's changed me a lot. You know, it's it's I've been in two teams that have been champions before, so I know exactly what it takes, the work it takes, the amount of determination that every player in the locker room needs. You know. Um, the full team needs to be bought into to what Pat and, and the coaching staff wants us to do in order to be champions and everybody be just keep themselves accountable, you know? Yes. And the whole team has has done that exactly. So it's it's been incredible to to see this team grow to where it is today. And you know, it's it's and and being part of a main figure in the team has helped me in knowing what our future teams are going to need to be able to get these results as well. Is there a mentality within this locker room that if you guys don't win MLS Cup, it's going to be disappointing on some level? I think so. I think it'll be disappointing, especially because we all know like the quality caliber of players that we have and we have a winning team, you know. It's a long season, even this last game, you know, going into this game versus Miami, a lot of the players are just 
tired from all these games, touch tough from injuries, you know, everybody's playing through something and we somehow find a way to win these games. You know, they're tough and gritty games that we just find a way to win. So we know we have that, um, we have that in us. So I think, and everybody thinks that, that we definitely have it all in our locker to win it all. This year's had to be a little different for you because, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the real first time in your career that you've had to deal with transfer rumors mm, and interest yeah. for you from different places, namely, you know, Mutch and Gladbach, but there's also other teams, Chivas, whoever it may be. Mm-hmm. But as a whole, when transfer rumors are going on, Brandon, is it difficult for you to focus or is it more exciting for you because now you're like, wait a minute, there's still more for me to get to, for me to achieve, and that's where I want to be. You know, it's a little bit of both. It's excitement, but at the same time, like, you don't know what the future holds. You know, this career is short, and one of my goals has been to to go to Europe. And I think if I want to make the 2026 World Cup roster, I think I have to be overseas competing in the best leagues in the world. Um, so, obviously, to have an opportunity, probably the best opportunity to have in my life come up this summer, it's exciting you know, I want to push myself. I want to keep growing as a player. And obviously, Cincinnati wants to win a championship. I want to help Cincinnati win a championship. And it not happening in the moment, you know, it, it could be a little distracting. You know, of course, uh, I want it to happen eventually. And hopefully it can happen this winter. But um, is that the goal for you, Brandon, for this the, winter to, to win an MLS Cup and then ultimately make the move? I think I think that would be the perfect case scenario for me, you know, bring Cincinnati a championship and and uh and then yeah, make make the jump overseas. It, What's it would the be best amazing. league for you? Oof. I mean obviously I think Prem is the best league in the world. Um but for me I think uh like a stepping stone, I feel like Germany would be a good one for sure. What is your favorite memory from this season? I mean, yeah, winning Supporter Shield in Toronto for sure. I mean, such a special moment and um, all the hard work, um, all the games, the away games, all the traveling, all the work that everybody has put in to finally uh, be able to enjoy it properly. It, it was amazing. Were there any nerves in that Toronto game when Osorio scores two quick goals oh, to tie it? Oh my gosh. I mean, I scored the f- the first two, and I was thinking, ah, oh, we're off to a fly on his star. We're going to score 10 more on these guys. And then they scored two, and we're 2-2 two, two at halftime, and I'm, like, thinking, no way, no way. Like, we already had a head start, and now we're, like, back on zero. They have all the momentum. Yeah, I was nervous for sure. So take us to the Toronto FC game. You're in Toronto. You win the supporter shield. You look around. Obviously, there's a little bit of a great feeling when you win something on the road. Right. Not knowing from experience. I just heard friends talk about it. Right. But when you do that and then you go into the locker room nudes, I, I you haven't told me this, so I'm curious. What was the first thing you said to your team? I didn't address them. I, I just wanted them to celebrate. I, I took a step back and I knew there was going to be, you know, a moment where I would address the group and just show them. Uh, my appreciation for what they've accomplished, but it was just a unique way of winning your first trophy because it's not the last game of the year. You're not yep. in front of your home fans. You know, no disrespect to to Toronto, but they had been eliminated. So the environment in the stadium wasn't two teams going after something. 
it, it was us trying to to win a supporter shield. And so when the final whistle blew, I mean, again, the the, the how proud I was in that moment to just you know show my appreciation to the coaching staff, the support staff, and then the players. That was a special feeling. But the way in which it mm-hmm. happened, it, it it just felt like it was a little bit off to to really help people to understand how much it meant to myself and, and to you know the rest of the group. But then going into the locker room, just watching those guys celebrate, you know, that's why I do it. You know, to share moments like that with all these people that have worked so hard to bring success to a club. And so the locker room was just me stepping aside and watching the guys celebrate. And then, you know, that carried over into when we returned, we were able to, to see the support of our fans and, and family off the bus. That was a really special moment. And then, you know, it carried over into to Wednesday where we got to do it in front of our home fans. Uh, but that was even unique because we lost the game and it wasn't a great performance. And now all of a sudden we're, we're lifting a trophy. So it, it was very unique, but it doesn't take away from the accomplishment. It, it was special. What did you learn from Cincinnati's semifinal run last season in MLS Cup that is now all of a sudden going to help you this year? That's a great question. Um, looking back to Philly, I think, um, you know, I don't think Philly will do that to us again. You know, I think we can we can be Philly, um, especially right now having that home field advantage um, going in the playoffs. I think that's huge. Um, and last year, every playoff game was away for us. So obviously um, looking forward to TQL during playoffs. I think it's going to be bumping. So yeah, I think with what we've learned throughout this season and how to stay in games and win games, even if it's not pretty, I think um, if we can take that in the playoffs, we can we can do just fine. Regardless of what happens in the MLS playoffs, what's one lesson you're going to take from 2023 to take you into 2024? Now we've experienced success in the form of a championship. Um, Do players and and coaches and people around the club recognize how challenging it's going to be to achieve that success again? It's only going to get harder. I think I said the same thing to our players at the beginning of this year. You're not surprising anybody anymore. I think there's more respect for our team and for this club. Well, now you're a champion. You know what that looks like. How do you maintain that success? That'll be the biggest challenge and, and something that we'll, we'll certainly focus on for the remainder of 23 and then going into 24 because, you know, you know it. I've said it. It's, it's hard to achieve success in this league, and it's hard to do it consistently. So year in and year out, how are you positioning yourselves to maintain that success? And, and what is the mentality of the people around the club to, to understand that you got to work harder? It, it, it doesn't become easier because of what we've been able to accomplish this year. So that'll be a challenge for us. Last one I have for you. You've gone from that ambitious teen in Tijuana to a supporter shield winner, to a record goal scorer, to a U.S. international. When it's all said and done, What's the first story you're going to tell your grandkids? Poof. That's a good question. It is I, because I, you're I becoming a lot of good father, stories. Yes, I am in February. Congratulations. So <laughs> what's oh, the first? Man. No, hang on a minute. Do we, oh, wait, slow down. Uh-huh. I just buried the lead. Do we know, is it a boy or a girl? It's a boy. It's a boy. What is the <laughs> first story you're going to tell your boy about your career? Ah. Uh, Probably my Tijuana days, you know, what it took to get 
to where I am today. You know, they, they weren't easy days. They were definitely tough days and long days and, and a lot of hard work. You know, I think back to all the work, all the, the, the sacrifices and, and stuff to, to be a professional athlete, to be a professional soccer player. It's, it's a lot more than what people think. You know, I, I feel like some people might think you just have to be good and talented and, and show up every day. But in reality, that's, that's not what it is. You know, you, you really have to work in every aspect, you know, the mental just as much as the physical and like the recovery aspect of things too. You know, you have to take care of your body the right way, eat the right way. Just it's, it's everything. It's everything, you know, um, if you're not doing one thing, it's you're just off balance. So it's a lot of hard work. Your son is born in February. What's the first Mexican candy you're going to tell him about? <laughs> uh, damn. Yep, because this is on the record now. I've never thought about that. I've never thought about that. I'm stumped. There's too many good ones. But maybe like uh, there's this like Mexican, um, there's these like Mexican little mango like lollipops that are like have tajin or chili covered around them that I used to love. Um, I dare you to those. give that to your two-year-old son. I dare you to when give he's that to him. Uh, when you he's will, two, you I'll will give him ruin one. his life. Like, honestly, that's the candy <laughs> you're going to give him? <laughs> Brandon, good luck, man. I appreciate it taking the time, and uh, I'm a big fan, so keep it going. Thanks, man. It was good talking to you. So you're 60 years old. You're sitting around at Christmas. Your grandkids look at you, and they say, Pat, Papa, whatever they call you, and they say, what is the single best memory of 2023 what are you going to tell them that first trophy it'll be it'll be the night in toronto people they'll they'll be they'll be surprised by that cuz hopefully we get to <laughs> experience another special moment like it cuz the season's not over and we have another goal to to try to achieve uh, but that was the first that was the first yeah. for for fc cincinnati and it was first the first for me um, in this position. And again, it, you, I think you know me by now. It's, it, I don't like to make these things about me, but it was special because of the position that I was in, being able to, to be a part of something, but leading as a, as a manager, your team to their first trophy in a city that was desperate for success, not just with the soccer, but, you know, sport in, in the city, you know, it hasn't happened since 1990. And so, that was a really special moment, and, and that's one that I'll probably uh, tell my grandchildren as they're going to give me a drink. <laughs> and I guarantee you it's going to be a Manhattan if you do it any, no. uh, anything oh, right. Disgusting. Oh, gross. I can't believe your dad drank those for a um, That's rough. Pat, this was a blast. I can't believe it. Thank you. This is, this is great. It's always good catching up with you, man. Dude, good luck, man. I'll see you in the future. All right. Sounds good. That was FC Cincinnati at its finest. They are heading into the playoffs, seated number one in the league. Quite a turnaround from the many days spent looking up from the bottom of the league, especially winning the Wooden Spoon. Three years in existence. I appreciate Pat Noonan, one of the best, honest, transparent people you will ever meet in this league. But I also hope a lot of players that are currently playing in this league listen to him and look at his path to coaching. I appreciate Brandon Vasquez grinding his way into the history books. A great example for young players in this league. You've got to earn your opportunity. And when you do it, grab it with both hands. 
Offside with Taylor Twelman is a Major League Soccer podcast produced by Apple TV and Rain Delay Media. Our executive producers are Peter Moses and John Yales. John was our editor. Michael Janelle was our engineer. Jonah Buchanan was our associate producer. Iggy Monda and Jonah were our researchers. Music was composed by Brian Decker, and I'm your host, Taylor Twalman. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts. I should give him a better fart noise. You're welcome, John. <laughs>